Christian Medical and Dental Associations hope you enjoy today's chapel message. I mentioned as you were coming in that I've been thinking about this chapel since September. So um, why since September? I, I don't know how many of you listen to Al Mohler in the briefing on any kind of a basis, whether once a week or every day. Do any of you listen? I, I know, uh, okay, I thought a few of especially our public policy listened to him, and he was one of our plenary speakers. Well, I catch him um, quite frequently, and he's one thing I found amazing is he's constantly using something in the New York Times or the Washington Post as fodder for his discussion. And I thought, this is a theologian that I think is at the top, and he's constantly, he and his people, are reading the Washington Post and the New York Times. And so I was flying down to Orlando. I got in the plane at Tri-Cities, and I get this email from the Washington Post called the Post Most, the most popular articles that have been read in probably the four or five first hours of the day by regular readers of the Washington Post, and this was one of those articles that stood out to me as a physician, and why it is awesome that your brain can experience awe. And so here I'm at 30,000 feet on the plane reading this article, why is it awesome that your brain can experience awe? And as I'm reading through the article, I'm looking as a Christian, as a person of faith, for any even the slightest hint of transcendence or the divine, and not even close. The entire article by this secular author doesn't even come close to talking about transcendence. I was so blown away by this. I sent it to Gene and a couple of other people, and I said, can you believe this author is talking about awe and amazing? Um, and so I wanted to share with you just a little bit of what he said before I jump into this article. I just got to have a rebuttal. Maybe I'll do a chapel someday at CMDA. So why is, it, why is it awesome that your brain can experience awe? And the author, whose name is Sema, Richard Sema says, it's a response to encountering something that is more vast, complex, or mind-blowing than we had conceived of either physically or conceptually. Okay, well, this, he started off with this. I thought, he's going to talk about God and the divine and da-da-da-da-da. Benefits of experiencing awe. So he goes into the why it's important to come back to awe, to awe. It can make us and our worries feel small in a good way. And he quotes article after article and article in all those soft medical science journals like the American Psychiatric Journal, the American Psychiatric Association, all kinds of these psychology journals. It can make us and our worries feel small in a good way when we experience awe. It promotes integration into social groups. And the studies that, I actually dived into some of these studies, cross-culturally, you go to any culture in the world and the experience of awe, he doesn't even use the word transcendence, but that's what it is. The transcendent actually brings us together. We, ex we share with one another in various cultures this experience of awe. It increases our feelings of well-being, life satisfaction, as well as our sense of meaning. It leads to greater curiosity and creativity. It improves our mental health and our physical health. And I wonder, all these studies that show the association between faith and being a part of a congregation leads to better health outcomes, whether it's a secular author or a faith-based author. The studies show better faith for those who regularly go to church and are with other people. Hang on to these benefits because I'm going to circle back to these in just a bit. 
So, as I mentioned, no mention of the divine, no God at all considered by Mr. Sema in this equation. So, I decided I wanted to talk a little bit about experience in the awe of God's nature. And it was just going to be a chapel, but it turned out to be four chapels. So, today I'm going to talk about experiencing the awe of God's presence. Uh, on February 14th, it just so happened that Carol gave me Valentine's Day to share for the next chapel, and I, I love what you just shared, Misty, in terms of Jesus' love for us. And I hope I remember that on February 14th for the next God's passion, Jesus' passion, uh, the awe of God's power and the awe of God's provision uh, between now and the middle of May. Experiencing the awe of God's presence. Anybody, probably many of you know what this picture is from. Recognize this? What's that? Yeah, Sistine Chapel, the, the scene, Michelangelo, God touching, almost touching Adam there. And I forget what the significance of the fact that there's a small gap there. You remember, Gene, what's the, the gap? But anyway, this is uh, Michelangelo's depiction of God's presence with Adam. So, take you back to 2013, April. I was on the Mediterranean coast with about 50 other WGM missionaries, and our good buddy, who pulls no punches, John Patrick was there as our guest speaker. First night, we had spent all day getting to Mombasa and then up to Malindi. We were all very tired. A bunch of us had kids along. It was grueling. First evening, he asked a question. His devotional, his challenge was from the book of Psalms. And <clears throat> I guess none of us in the room, including yours truly, had a, a good enough answer for his question about the Psalms. And so his quote was, what's wrong with you missionaries? You're out here serving God and you don't know the Psalms? What's the matter with you? So it was a royal behind kicking uh, from John Patrick. And so since that time, he said, I want to challenge you as you leave. I want to challenge you every year to pick a psalm and to make that your psalm of the year. So I don't know if any other missionary in the room went away from there. You know, it was like my surgical rotations. When you have an attending that was really kicking your behind because you didn't know something as a student, by golly, no one was ever going to catch you at that, at that defect in your knowledge ever again. You were going to make sure that you knew, or maybe in emergency medicine on, with your faculty. What do you mean you don't know, understand the six aspects of whatever it is? So, a psalm of the year. So, I was prodded. Last year, it was Psalm 16 for me. And this year, I prayed and asked God to give me a psalm. Uh, and... Because we, are, we had this incredible year of Jubilee, Roe v. Wade was overturned last June, and um, anyone, tell me about some famous, famous pro-life passages in all of Scripture, and of course I've told you it's coming from the Psalms. Anyone off? Thank you. Perfect. Psalm 139. And so I just decided, I've read through that passage uh, I've got a list of pro-life scriptures, and my daughter read this passage, Ashley, last year, and she said, Dad, that is awesome, awesome passage, and she posted it on one of her social media things. So I decided that Psalm 139 would be my psalm of 2023. Now, I'm going to tell you that uh, I have memorized it in these first couple of weeks of the year. You're the first audience for me to try to get through it, or at least parts of it, um, and 
Uh, JC caught me yesterday. He's my witness that I actually do swim at the YMCA. And uh, it's much easier for me silently in my mind to go through a passage than it is to actually say it out loud to people. But this passage captures the essence uh, and is really why I decided to make the presence of God the first aspect of experiencing awe. So if you have your, you know, well, because you have your Bibles, not if you have, but because you have your Bibles on your phones or whatever electronic device, Psalm 139, I'm going to do it in the New Living, and I am going to, I am going to have my backup shoot uh, here. Uh, I'm going to have Psalm 139 in front of me uh, just in case I get stuck because it's too good. I, I don't want to not say something right. So Psalm 139 in the New Living. And what does David tell us? That God knows everything about us, everything, including what we're going to say next. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel or when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. God is ever-present in our lives, David tells us, as we walk through each day, never, ever leaving us alone. In verse 5, you go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, of course you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, I have no idea what that means, but if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the furthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me, your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, the light around me to become day, but even in darkness, I cannot hide for you. To you, the dark shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. And then the pro-life passage, the sanctity of life passage. He made us with incredible workmanship, paying attention to us through the entire process. You, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Great verse for any of the healthcare professionals in the room. We spent years and years and years figuring out this workmanship and never got to the end of it. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in, the, in, in utter seclusion, as I, as I was being, as I was woven um, in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I hope my desire this morning is to push you to the edge of awe and God's presence. And then verses 17 and 18, 
I'm going to skip to 17 18, and I'm going to stop there. He isn't just with us. My brother, my brother in his house has a sign at the back entrance where he pulls in every day. He's really struggled with some issues over years as, well, as I have too at times in marriage and getting along with my, with my wife. Uh, he, he struggles. So what he does every, every day, he has this sign that's right, it's the first thing he sees as he comes in the garage door. It says, be here now. Be here now. So when he comes home from work, he's reminded to be present, to be present. So verses 17 and 18 tell us it's not just that God is with us, omnipresent, but that he actually is engaged and present in present with us and thinking about us. Verses 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. You're still with me. Thinking about the awesome nature of God. Thinking about the awesome nature of God. Now, a few of you in the room, especially Mrs. Barbara Snap, knows that I like numbers. I love numbers. I was four years old when I started having influence by an aunt who loved to teach math to elementary school students, and she saw that I had promise. So from age four, I was doing like the first three years of elementary math, four or five. And then, as if that wasn't enough, my father's a PhD mechanical engineer who's world-renowned on the issues of heat transfer within gas turbine engines, uh, who, started, who loves calculus. So for starting from grade seven, I was learning calculus. So I got to my first year at Taylor. Uh, I had skipped the first semester because I'd already done it in high school. Uh, and the second semester, first exam, the professor came to me after the exam and said, who are you? <laughs> Why? Well, because you got the highest score of 150 people and you weren't even here the first semester. And I said, well, my, and I told him the story about my dad, da, 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 and I'd already have calculus. And he said, what's your major? And I said, well, I'm doing chemistry and I want to become a doctor. And he said, would you strongly consider switching, changing gears and going into math? Um, because I think you have promise. And I said, thank you, Professor Harms, but I'm I'm on a path that God's called me to, and I'm not going to go into math. But anyway, I love numbers, and I occasionally get to go back to numbers. So this passage, they outnumber the grains of sand. Now, I got to thinking about what was David talking about? Was David talking about a little bit of sand pile in his backyard? Was he talking about the sand on the seashore of Israel? Was he talking about the known world? And so I started to think about quantities here. And so we've got some CMDA sand. I don't know how many of you, I've never played horseshoes down there, but I paid my first visit yesterday to the CMDA horseshoe pit. And I got some sand. Thank you, Jessica, for the jar uh, to help me with my sand. And it gave me a chance. There's actually some, calcula- there's some ways to calculate. Granted, you have to fudge because there's the type of sand, there's whether it's wet or dry. This sand was a little bit moist yesterday uh, down the sand pit. So pulled out Mick pi r squared and, you know, t- uh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, for a cylinder. Now, it's not a perfect cylinder. But I, this is a, I mean, even the, even the sort of formulas are total approximations. But still, how many grains of sand 
in this little ball jar, do you think? Just as just a small aliquot, as we say in chemistry, a small aliquot of sand, a sample from our CMDA sand pit. How many grains of sand inside this little thing? Anyone want to take a gander? Jessica guessed, and she was in the right category. Okay, Jessica's much closer. <laughs> Jessica, give your answer so I can give you credit. Yeah, what, you, what your first answer that you gave? A million. So you said a million grains of sand inside this. Multiply times 44, and you got the answer. 44 million grains of sand inside this jar. Granted, it's plus minus four or five million because, you know, my measurements could be off a little bit and it was wet sand and it's CMDA sand. Maybe it's not, maybe it's fat sand, I don't know. <clears throat> but 44 million. So the numbers guy and me started to, to work out some things. Let's say that we live to be 85 years old. I think that may be close to an average male's life, expected lifespan in America today, 85 years. If every grain of sand is a thought by God, just what's in this jar alone would be a thought by God about us every single minute of every single hour, of every single day, of every single year, for 85 years, this, one, just one thought a minute, this would be the number of thoughts approximately that God would have about you and about me. This is a tiny fraction of what we have in our CMDA sand pit down the hill behind me. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. How about a child's sandbox? So I wanted to go a little bit further. God's thoughts about you are more than the grains of sand in this sandbox. Approximately 16 billion grains of sand in a 4x4 from Lowe's, which is a foot deep. That is more than five thoughts per second for 90 years. Five thoughts per second in a child's sandbox. God must think about us a lot, nonstop. Like a thousand thoughts a second or more. This is Warren Dunes, just 30 minutes from where Pam and I lived for several years, our home in Michigan. Warren Dunes, a mountain of sand. We're not even talking about the Sahara Desert right now. This is just Michigan. And Netanya, Israel, where we got a chance to go in November, and on the coast. I mean, David would have been familiar with the sand along this coast uh, there in Israel. How about the number of grains in the world of sand? It has been worked on by geologists, and this is the number I found yesterday on Google. 7.5 sextillion, that'll be an easy word to remember, 7.5 sextillion grains of sand. That's a 7.5 or 75 followed by 17 zeros. David says that God's thoughts about us outnumber that sextillion sand grains. And a little factoid also, my family all got it right around the table last night. You see it right here, so there's no mystery. There are more stars out there. If you want to blow your brain, there are more stars out there than there are grains of sand, just by calculations that have been done. So that is incredible. That is vast. And I hope 
bringing about some awesome. Let's go back to those benefits of experiencing awe and do it in a context of the divine. God's nature is at the heart of these, improving our mental health and physical health. It can make us and our worries feel small in a good way. It promotes integration into social groups. I'm having to read. It's a very small print on these little arrows. Um, Gets our thinking off of self. Increased feeling of well-being, the satisfaction and sense of meaning, leads to greater curiosity and creativity. And at the center is God's nature. We have omnipresent access to awe. It is all around us. The author says to the secular audience, just walk outside and maybe you can find awe in the mundane. I don't think we need to rely as Christians, as followers, as believers in Jehovah, Yahweh, on the mundane. We have a lot better than the mundane to stimulate our brains to think about awe. God's presence is always with us. David said in Psalm 139, he goes before me, he follows me, he's all around me. 